0: chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And you know, I've had many people say, man, what, how in the world do you pick a message? You know, like, what you're going to... You just pick one week and then you're going to preach once? Like, what, what can you cover? Well, you know, I was thinking about it. You, whenever you preach, you want to give something that will be practical for everybody no matter what stage of life you're in. Don't you think that's important? And I was kind of thinking, then you see what happened yesterday. Did y'all see with that Kentucky Derby? I mean, that guy... This would have been a perfect message for that guy to hear, you know, like uh, as far as you need some grace, you come to the throne of grace and find some help in time of need. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 4 because all of us go through times of trouble, right? All right, uh, I was reading a story here recently about a redhead and a blonde that uh, they owned a business together, a ranch, and what had happened was is one of their bulls had died one of their prize bulls. And so uh, the only problem was, is that between the two of them, they only had $500. And so the redhead told the blonde, she said, don't worry about it, I'm gonna go down to the market and I'll buy a bull under $500, the one I find, and I'll send you a telegram and just kinda let you know uh, what I find so that you can bring the truck and trailer and all of that stuff. Well, the redhead, she went down to the market, and she found the perfect bull. It was $499, so she bought it, and so she went to the telegram office, and she was talking to the operator, and she found out it cost $1 per word to send a message, a telegram to her friend. Well, she's like, okay, well, how in the world am I going to let my blonde friend know that I found the bull? And so she thought about it for a minute and she told the telegram operator, she said, would you just send the word comfortable to her? Well, that guy was like, you know, what in the world, comfortable? And he had to stop her. He said, now, why in the world would you send the word comfortable to her? And so she kind of slowed down and the redhead said to the operator, he said, oh, that's easy. He said, my friend's really blonde and and she, she reads extremely slow. And so she would read it like this, come for the bull. Uh, And you know, uh, (laughs) you think about that, and it reminds me of another story I read recently, and it was this. Um, Here recently, this is a true story. Uh, In Vancouver, there was this Chinese young man that flew all the way from China to Vancouver and he had one thing that he wanted to buy. He, he had a, a specific vehicle that he was looking to purchase. It was a Bugatti sports car. I don't know if you've heard of those. They're really expensive. His dad was a businessman in China and was extremely wealthy. And so he goes over there and listen to this. He bought the car for $3.8 million. And he put it on his dad's credit card. I'm th- that, for one, one reason alone, you should never give your kid a credit card. That's not a good idea. And so uh, he bought this, this vehicle, and uh, the thing was is that he got on social media and began to complain because he paid $700,000 in taxes alone. $700,000. you are like, thanks, Dad, for your credit card. And so I was kind of thinking about that this week, that, man, that's crazy that he would m- make such an outrageous purchase on his dad's credit card. And I began to think, you know, um, the benefits that this young man had can ne- never compare to the benefits that you and I have in Jesus Christ. His dad might be really wealthy, but that's only temporary. Amen. You know that there are benefits that you and I have as believers, as the children of God? Well, what I wanna do this morning is that I want us to look at some eternal blessings that God has given us. Um, we're gonna be looking here at Hebrews chapter four, so if you would open your Bible there, make sure you're ready. Uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of background first. Uh, the author of Hebrews, we're not sure who it was, but he was writing to Jewish Christians that were going through persecution. Uh, their lives were very difficult. Some of them had had their houses confiscated. Some of them had, were tired. Uh, they had family members that had been placed in jail. Culturally, they were being rejected. Life was very difficult for them, and they were being tempted to go back into their previous lifestyle in the Jewish religion. And so what we find when you come to this passage is that the author is dealing with people that are going through difficult circumstances. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life, that maybe you're going through some financial struggles, or maybe you find yourself having lost a loved one, or you're having problems at the job or whatever it is. We know that as believers, we're gonna have difficult circumstances. But here's the thing that, that's incredible is that he begins to share with them that God has some incredible resources available to people that are children of God. You have some benefits. Now, it not, might not be the benefits that you would choose. Like, for instance, if you're going through a hard time, what would be the number one request you might would have? I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you would choose, hey, Lord, would you let me out of this? Would, is there any way that I can escape from it? But a lot of God's plans, they don't work that way, do they? Because God's more interesting in forming our character than he is about us getting what we want. And that's a hard thing to, to accept, isn't it? But as we come to this, these people have stress, they're discouraged, and they're looking for comfort. And the question is this, when life is difficult and you're facing hardship, Where can you find peace and rest for your soul? Have you ever been there where you just needed some peace and you needed to know uh, that that God's got it? Um, I, I can just think back over the past months, weeks, that we've had several things that have been going on. And the only constant reminder that we have is this, is that God not only calls you into salvation, but he also wants to resource your life so that you can make it through it. He might not give you a way out of it, but he always offers you a way through it. Amen. And folks, let's look at this together. Jesus has, uh, is not just the one that saved us in the past. He wants to resource you in the present. So let's look here at Hebrews chapter 4. And I'll ask wherever you are, if you would just stand up, and we're going to read this passage together. Hebrews chapter 4, and look at verses 14 through 16. And you can follow along. I'll ask you to read verse 16 with me, if you don't mind. It says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And would you follow along with me? Verse 16, let's read this together. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, if you please be seated. Today, I want us to look at the three resources that God offers to you as a believer. And, and uh, this is, should be an encouragement to you because God wants to help you through your troubles and your pains, the things that you're going through that are difficult. Have you had any, any difficulties that you've been facing? Maybe I should ask some moms and dads, you know, with three kids, like, yeah, you're bound to have some. But I'm just joking. All right, you guys don't have to be upset with me about that. I'm just kidding. You know, with my kids, uh, things are difficult sometimes. But let's look at this together and we'll discover the resources. The first one is this. In Christ's position, you have access to God. That alone is an incredible thought. Uh, In verse 14, it says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. The book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience. That means that he's writing to people that would understand the customs, the culture of Jewish life. Do we have anybody in here that's Jewish? Anybody? Raise your hand. I don't see one hand. Okay, so here's the thing. So automatically when you get into the book of Hebrews, you're already at a disadvantage You don't know exactly what it's like to go and worship at the temple. And so what I want to do for us is kind of give us a background understanding. The the author of Hebrews is doing a comparison of, of the Jewish religion through a high priest as opposed to Jesus as the great high priest. You following with me? And so in order to understand the book of Hebrews, you have to understand their religious system. So give me just one minute to explain that. And if you follow along with me, I promise at the end you'll find that you learned something really incredible about what God offers you. First of all, if let's say if you were born over 2,000 years ago in Israel and you were to go to the Jewish temple, you would find it's nothing like going to church, okay? Just so you're kind of aware. When you would approach the temple, uh, the first thing that you would notice is that you had limited access to God. You would notice that right off the bat because as you would make your way and you walk through the city of Jerusalem to the temple, you would find that the first thing that you come into is what's called the court of the Gentiles. That means that's all of us, okay? Can you say, that's me? That's all of us. You come into that place and and, and you would recognize that's as far as you could go, as far as uh, the temple was the place where God's presence resided, And as you would come into that court, the court of Gentiles, uh, there would be a sign that you would find that it it said this, uh, if you were a Gentile and you attempted to go to the next area, you would be killed. That's very welcoming when you go to church, right? Like if we did that, you go any further, you're going to die. All right, but that's how things were there. They would have stones that were set up in the courtyard that literally, if you tried to make a move into the next area and you weren't Jewish, you would be killed that's very welcoming to come to worship right that i wouldn't even attempt that all right so here's the thing well the, the next thing that you would find if you moved further is you would go into the court of women that is a, an open area where they would sell the different animals and that's where the women could go that was as far as they could go then the next area was the inner courtyard and in that was where the men the jewish men would go in and while the jewish priests were going in to offer sacrifices The men would wait to to see the news, like on whether the high priest would come out after the sacrifice, they would wait there. Well, the Jewish priests, their whole job and their role in the Jewish religion was this. They were to be a mediator between God and the people. Uh, There was a whole structure that was set up for them in the book of Leviticus that told them what they could and couldn't do. They had certain washing rituals that they had to follow through with, And uh, there was all of these procedures that they had to go through. Now on the one day of the year, on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would take a sacrifice and he would, uh, that he would offer up for the uh, sins of the people. But before he could ever get to that point, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. Why is that? Because the high priest was himself a human being, just like everybody else. He struggled with sins. Uh, he, he struggled with temptation, just like the rest of uh, everybody else. Well, when he would take that sacrifice, he would go from the outer court and move to the inner court. And from the inner court, he would walk up 12 stairs that would lead into the place that was called the holy place. When he would take that sacrifice, he would move from the, that holy place and he would go through a veil and he would enter in a room that was called the Holy of Holies. And there he would take the blood sacrifice and he would pour it out on the mercy seat uh, where inside that, that ark, it was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God's presence resided. Now, whenever he would go in, he always had these bells that were at the bottom of his tassels that let them know that he was moving around. And they also would have a rope that was tied to them that if something happened to him and, and his sacrifice wasn't accepted by God and he was struck dead for some reason, they could pull him out from the Holy of Holies and, and they would be able to get him out of there. Now, this is the structure that they were working in. Uh, they, they still had everyday sacrifices that they had to make uh, on a daily basis because Why? The priests weren't perfect. The people weren't perfect. And and it was just a covering for a year. And the whole point was this. These high priests uh, were meant to mediate between God and man, but the problem was is that they were just as sinful as the people they represented. They could only help them so far. You guys following with me? Uh, They would eventually die. They would have to replace them with somebody else. It was an imperfect representative between them and God. And with that understanding, when you move into the rest of this, now what the author of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to paint Jesus as the perfect representative between God and man because Jesus Christ doesn't have to offer up sacrifices for his sins because he has none. He's gonna be a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Let's look at this. First, we, see the, uh, we, we saw the Old Testament priest. Now let's look at our great heavenly high priest, You see, when Jesus was on earth, he never went into the Holy of Holies. Did you know that? He never went into the earthly Holy of Holies. He functioned in three positions. He was a prophet. Uh, One day he will come back as a king, but right now he's functioning as what? Some people think, you know, well, what's Jesus doing in heaven? Well, according to the scriptures, he's functioning as our great high priest. He's representing us before God. Now follow along with me what this means to our life. Look at verse 14 again. He says, and I want you to notice how he's using a picture of the Old Testament priest to picture Jesus Christ and what he's doing for us. Look at what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, and notice he says that passed into the heavens. It's like the same picture that you pointed when when he had the the sacrifice and he went into the temple and he went through the different rooms and through the veil into the Holy of Holies, except Jesus passed through the heavens. And so it keeps going on. It says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. Just like the Old Testament priests used to offer a sacrifice for sins, We see here that Jesus is called the great high priest. And it's because Jesus made a one time offering of himself up for the sins of all of mankind. Jesus, after he made the payment for sin, he arose from the dead. And when he stood with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, it says that he ascended back to heaven. Notice it says that he passed through the heavens. Now, for, to understand what this means, in the Jewish mind, there's three heavens. Okay, so you know what he means that when he's talking about this. For the Jewish people, the first heaven is the sky. That's where the birds are at. And the second heaven is space, where the planets are at. And then the third heaven is where the presence of God was. So when he says that Jesus passed into the heavens, it's talking about the fact that after Jesus had, had paid the, for the price of our sins on the cross, he died and he was buried and he rose again from the dead. And then eventually there was 40 days where he spent with the disciples and then he ascended back to heaven. And here's the question. What was it that he was doing? I personally believe that Jesus was offering up his blood as a sacrifice for our sins and he came and he presented it to God the Father and the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, I want you to look at this up on the screen. Look at what it says. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, what did he do? Folks, let's try this again. Let's try, I want your help with me. Come on, you guys can help me. All right, it says that he did what? Did you know that in the earthly temple, there was no furniture inside the Holy of Holies? There was no place to sit down. Why? Well, because the job of the, prof, or the priest of God was never finished. Sins were never paid for completely. You see, the reason why Jesus Christ could ascend back to heaven and he could present the offering of his blood was the fact that when he paid the penalty for our sins, it was a perfect sacrifice once and for all, for all of eternity, all sins would be forever be wiped out for those that turned to Jesus Christ in faith. And he could sit down at the right hand of the father because it was completely paid for in full. He continually stays in the presence of God. And now we know that when you read in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that that veil that was in the holy, of, uh, holy place that led into the holy of holies was torn in two. And it was so thick that no human being could ever have done it. It had to be God himself. And what did it mean? Folks, for us, that means that there's now access to God. Where it used to be, there was distance, no access. God was far away. Now it meant that you could now go into the very presence of God and you could find help that you need whenever you're in a time of trial. Now follow along what he says about him because Jesus is different than any other high priest. It says this in verse 14. It says, Jesus, the Son of God. You see, what makes Jesus different and makes him a perfect mediator is that as Jesus, that's his human name. That's Jesus' human name that he can identify with the struggles that we have as people and as humanity. But Jesus is not just Jesus. He's also the son of God. That's his deity. That's the fact that he's God. He's he's, uh, both God and man all in one. In his humanity, he understands us, but in his deity, what? He can actually help us. But notice that he also says, let us hold fast our profession. Now, he's not, he noticed he doesn't say, hold on to your salvation. Folks, if if it depended on us to hold on to our salvation, none of us would be saved. He says, hold fast to your profession. That is the, what you believe about Jesus Christ. Hold on to it. Why is that? Because you now have access to God. You don't need to give up. You don't ever need to quit and feel like God can't work this out because you have access to him. And notice what it says in Hebrews 7.25. It says that now Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Have you ever had somebody come to you and tell you that they're praying for you? How much of a blessing is that? When they say, hey, I just want you to know I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you lately. Well, hey, right now in heaven, you have Jesus that's always seated at the right hand of the Father. That's always interceding on your behalf, telling him, Father, this is my child. He belongs to me. He needs your help right now. And and the fact that right now, Jesus is praying for you. How powerful is that in your circumstances, in your situations? You see, here's the fact. The reason why this author is writing that is that these people, these these Jewish believers, were tempted to quit. They were struggling with how do you handle the problems of life. And when when you're in a time of need, have you ever thought about the fact how helpful it would be to know somebody in a high position? You ever thought that before? I can think of a times in Thailand where we needed people that were in high positions to cut through the red tape so that we didn't have to go through and like waste our time but we could actually get to somebody that could do something about it. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you a little bit. I can I read a story here recently about a soldier during the Confederate uh, after the Civil War. He was seated outside of the White House. He was crying. Well, there was this little boy that walked over to him and he asked this, this Confederate soldier, he said, what's going on with you? Well, why, why is it that you're, you're crying? He said, well, he said, I tried to get in to see the president, but they, they lowered their bayonets on me and I couldn't get in to see him. He said, the president of the United States is the only one that can help me right now. Well, that little boy, he grabbed him by his hand and he began to lead him to the stairs of the White House, and, and when he showed up, the soldiers raised up their bayonets, they walked right through the front door, and he began to walk him room through room, through the White House, all the way into the Oval Office where President Lincoln was at. You see, the way the soldier got to, God the, uh, to, got to Lincoln was through what? Through the sun, And folks, today, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever your difficulties are that you're going through, listen, you now have access to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, because he's now at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you, always praying for you. And listen, folks, they didn't have that before. You used to be in your sins. You used to be separated from God. But if you're in Christ today, you have access to the Father. And listen, he can cut through the red tape. Listen, he, you can go all the way to the top. He's not merely a president that can only help you on earth. This is a heavenly king that can sovereignly rule over whatever your circumstances are. Amen. 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 And it, it was costly gift because it cost them. It wasn't bought for you by gold or silver, but it was bought by the precious blood of Christ. Listen, folks, whatever you're going through, you have a fantastic resource in the fact that you can go to God the Father for whatever you need. Let me show you the second thing. The second thing is this. In Christ's perfection, you have sympathy. It's almost like the author of Hebrews recognized that people would say, well, that's great that that I can access God, but God doesn't understand me. Have you ever wondered that before? You ever thought, well... I appreciate the fact that I can go to God in prayer, but he's God. What is he, how is he going to understand me? Uh, how many of you recognize, like, it's good to tell people you're praying for him, but what a lot of people want is what? They want somebody to understand what it is they're going through. Yeah. And so the author of Hebrews begins to explain what makes Jesus so great. is the fact that as God, he can help you, but as man, he understands the problems that you go through. It's funny because I think about this so many times. We want sympathy, don't we? Uh, uh, this is funny. I, I can remember each time my wife would, you know, when she was pregnant with our kids, she would always come and she'd say, you know, she would tell me about, like, my feet are swollen, Ryan. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, I, it's really hot. Could you turn the air? It, like, she'd go through all these things, like they, these conditions that she was going through. And I'd say, oh, babe, I'm sorry. And, and you know, have you ever got yourself in one of those positions before, guys, don't leave me hanging? All right, and so here's the thing. You're like, yeah, babe, like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you don't understand anything. Like, because you've never been pregnant before. Uh, you're right, you're right, I, I haven't, but I'm, I feel, still feel bad for you. Hey, it's, it's nice to know, and you know what she would do? She, she's like, you know, why do I even talk to you about that? I'm going to go talk to my mom. I was like, yeah, babe, that's probably a great idea. You should do that. And, and, you know, have you ever been there before? You want somebody to identify with your struggles? Well, listen, as Jesus, listen, he identifies and he understands everything that you go through. You understand that while Jesus was on this world, on this earth, Satan was throwing everything at him. Let me show you what, what the passage says. Verse 15, he says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Amen. You see, in this world, he endured some of the things that you went through. The first thing, as a sinless high priest, he can help you in temptation. Notice that he says that in all points he was tempted like you, yet without sin. You're like, well, Jesus doesn't understand temptation. Jesus never sinned. Uh, that would be incorrect. Listen, why? Jesus understands temptation more than you because he, he experienced everything that Satan could throw at him and more, and he never sinned one time. You and I, it doesn't take much for us to be tempted, does it? I know some of you don't lie. All right, here's the thing. Like when you go on I-65, I know that some of you, you're really tempted when somebody cuts you off. Why do I know that? But I've been tempted myself. But here's the thing. Uh, like, it doesn't take much to tempt us, does it? No, it don't. Man, some of you guys are not very good liars. But here's, it doesn't take much to tempt us. But the fact is, is that it says that Jesus was tempted in all points like us. Well, what does he mean by that? Jesus was tempted physically, emotionally, spiritually. He went through all of those things. Jesus understands temptation more because he took it to the full extent. Now, let me give you an example. How many of you guys, y'all have heard of Mike Tyson before? Yeah, the guy that bit the ear off. Everybody knows him. All right, so Mike Tyson, okay? Uh, the thing about Mike Tyson, this guy was the, pers- the first person, or he was the youngest person to win the heavyweight championship. He won it at age 20, by the way. Incredible, until he started eating ears. But the, the thing is, is this. Uh, his first 19 fights, he won all of them as a matter of fact, the first uh, 12 out of the 19, he knocked them out in the first round. That's pretty impressive, even if it is Mike Tyson. But here's the thing. Mike Tyson, there were some people that fought against him and they went 15 rounds. Some people only lasted one round, which there was a bunch of them. But here's the thing. Listen, who was it that knew more about the strength of Mike Tyson? The one that lasted 15 rounds or the one that lasted one round? The one that went 15 rounds. Why? Well, picture it like this. Jesus stepped into the ring with Satan, and Satan was giving Jesus every blow, every attack that he could possibly give him. And and Jesus, after the 15 rounds, after that time had ended, Jesus could raise his hands, and, and, and he could say, I never lost one time. He raised his hands in victory and could say that he was without sin. And here's why it's such a good thing for all of us that are here today. You ever feel tempted in life to quit, to give up, to give in to whatever it is you're facing? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid them that are tempted. Whatever it is that you're facing in temptation, he can aid it. He can help you through it. Why? Because he's also faced that temptation. And guess what? He emerged victorious. And he can offer you victory for whatever it is that you face. So listen, as a sinless high priest, he can help you with temptation. But notice this. He's also a sympathetic high priest that feels your pains. Let's look back at this verse. And I want to show you what it says. It says, look at verse 15. He says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, with the feelings of our infirmities. Folks, maybe there's somebody here today that needs to hear this. Amen. There are no ex- uh, emotions that you can experience that Christ also hasn't experienced. Amen. He understands what it's like to feel weak, he understands what it's like to hurt. He understands what it's like to be in pain, to hunger, to experience grief, to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to be in hunger. And the fact that it says this, Jesus, is, uh, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities is a beautiful word. If you have a pen, circle that word, touched. It comes from the word sympathy or symphony. How many of you recognize, uh, let's imagine that up on this stage you had Two pianos. Okay, if you were to strike the chord on one piano, did you know that on the other side, there's another piano, that same chord would experience what's called symphonic resonance? What that means is, is that when the chord is struck on this side, it begins to, what? Vibrate and respond on the other piano. Now, let me see if I can explain it to you this way. When Jesus Christ came to this earth and was born, he took on our instrument. He knew what it was like to experience pain and temptation and difficulty and trials. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he ascended back to heaven, he's there now seated at the right hand of God. And when the chord of our heart is, 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 is strummed and it experiences that resonance, it strikes a chord in the very heart of Jesus Christ as well. The fact that Jesus can feel is is a foreign concept in a lot of religions. There's so many religions out there that God is apathetic, he's distant, he has nothing to to do with our emotions and feelings, but listen, this fact, it teaches a revolutionary concept that Jesus feels the pain that you feel. He can sympathize. He's touched by it. It moves him. He's not distant. He understands what it is that you're going through. Let me maybe share a personal story with you from my own life. I can remember being a missionary in Thailand. And uh, it was the first Christmas that we were there. And both of us, to be honest with you, we were struggling. It was the first time we really had been away from our family you know, during the Christmas season. And when you do that, you do like stupid stuff. Let me give you an example. Like, I, I can remember going and buying the biggest Christmas tree I could find. I don't know why I did that. I just wanted my wife to experience Christmas. So I went down to the store. We bought a Christmas tree. This is why it was dumb. It was the biggest one they had. And, and we didn't even have a vehicle. Like, I didn't even know how I was going to transport. So we got a taxi. And I stuffed it in the guy's car. I don't think he really appreciated that. He had to put his window down, and it was sticking out the side of the taxi. And we're driving through the streets of Bangkok with a Christmas tree sticking out the side of a vehicle. That's kind of dumb, thinking back on it. And and so, like, you're like, and so we're driving down the road, and and we're taking this Christmas tree, you know, to the house, and we're going to set it up. And, man, I'm just, I have a bad attitude. Anybody here ever pout or complain? Nobody. (laughs) That's what I thought. All right, and so um, I'm, 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 I'm driving back to the house, and I'm sitting here thinking, God, we're feeling a little bit lonely this year. And we're away from family. And I can still remember that God put something on my heart. He didn't speak to me directly, but he just impressed it on my heart. It's almost like he said, you know, the first Christmas, I knew what it was like to be away from family. You see, in that moment, it struck struck a chord with me the fact that Jesus Christ coming as a man, he entered into our pain. He knows what it's like to struggle. What what pain could you go through today that Jesus doesn't understand? Uh, Loss of a loved one? He lost Lazarus. Having to leave a loved one? He had to say goodbye to his mom, Mary. Disappointment? How about a disciple you spent three years on that disappoints you? What pain is it that you can go through that Jesus isn't sympathetic towards, that it doesn't resonate with him? The fact that he can feel your pain, folks, is an incredible resource that we have at our disposal. Amen? Amen. So in his position, you have access. In his perfection, you have sympathy. But I want you to notice this last thing. And we'll be done. Verse 16, I want you to notice that in his provision, you have help. Verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to notice that this resource, it always starts with an invitation. He says that, Come boldly unto the throne of grace. That word come is a great word. It's the idea of drawing near. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, you might even write that out to the side, draw near. It's the idea of continually coming into his presence, of coming to God. There's a place that you have to go to to get the resource. Where is it? His throne room. He says, come boldly To the throne of grace. That's a foreign concept of coming close to God. But the idea of a throne of grace is a total, it's an oxymoron, to be honest with you. In the days of Jesus, in the ancient times, we know that a throne was never a place that you would go to to find grace. A throne was meant to be a place of what? Judgment. You would never go to a throne and ask for them to have compassion on you. But see, the fact is, is that when Jesus laid down his life on the cross, and when you turn to Jesus Christ and you ask him to save you, the throne that used to be a throne of judgment changes its name, and it then becomes a throne of grace. Where you used to come, where you would have found judgment, you now can find grace Because you're coming not on the basis of who you are, but on the basis of who Jesus Christ is. And you can now come into the very presence of God, and you can come boldly. That means you can come and express yourself freely. You don't have to worry about rejection or how he might respond to what it is that you're going through. You'll, you can come boldly and share it with him, and, and he cares. And so it comes with an invitation of coming to him. Hey, folks, whatever it is you're struggling with today, it begins with accepting an invitation of coming to him. He's the one that resources you, he's the one that will give you the help that you need. But notice this it's also an invitation for help. He says that we may obtain, well, if I come to him, what do I get? He says that I may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. You know, some of the most marvelous gifts that we have, we only have because of Jesus. He says, if you'll come to me, you can experience his grace. Grace is when you receive something you don't deserve. You see, you could never... Get God's grace based on your self effort or based on trying to earn it. It's only given to you because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. And He will give you grace, but notice He also doesn't just give you grace, He gives you what? Mercy. He gives you grace for the present and He gives you mercy for your past. Mercy is what? It's the fact that you don't get what you do deserve. You see, you deserve judgment, you deserve to be punished. You deserve to be separated from God, but God doesn't give you that. He also, notice what he gives you. He gives you help. Man, I like this word. You might circle that word help. Help is a nautical term. You see, in, the, in those days, when sailors would be out on the sea and they would experience a storm, this word help would have this idea. They used to have these cables that they would wrap around the hull of a ship so that it wouldn't be broken up during the storm. You see, this word help, when your life is being ripped apart and you come to his throne of grace, you'll find that he will give you the help to keep your life together when it looks like it'll be torn apart. What a great offer that we have. You see, today, whoever, whatever it is you're going through, you have an invitation. The invitation is to come to his throne room. It's almost like he gives you an all-access card to come to his throne room. He says when you come to the throne, you'll find grace, you'll find mercy, you'll find help, but also notice that at the bottom of that card, it might even be written that it's paid for in full by the blood of Christ. As I was thinking this week about the fact that we can find help, I was reminded of a story that I read in the newspaper recently, and we'll be done. There's a story of a man named Bruce Sapici. Uh, he was a man that chopped to go. Uh, he, he's the kind of man that he, he liked to go to a, a garage sale. And every weekend, he would go to these garage sales, and what he would do is he would try to find items that he could take and he could sell. Well, he went to this one in Des Moines, Iowa, and, and when he got there, he noticed that there was a table and there was all kinds of aluminum bats, but there was one bat that was wooden. He went over and he looked at it, and he noticed, he's like, man, this bat is no ordinary bat. He went to the owner of the garage sale, and he said, sir, I don't know if you know what you have over here. And he began to explain to him, and he said, this bat, I believe, was owned by Jackie Robinson. You see, he was selling it for one dollar. He said, the reason why you can know is because the grip of the bat, it's gripped like Jackie Robinson used to do it. And he said, let me get a piece of paper. And the guy ran inside his house, got a piece of paper. He wrapped it around the bat, and he began to scribble with a lead pencil, and he found out that the name Jackie Robinson appeared on the piece of paper. There he was. He was going to sell a priceless treasure. He was going to overlook something that was extremely valuable that was right in front of him. Folks, I don't know about you, but in my own life, I've been convicted that many times I've had priceless resources that God has put at my disposal that I've overlooked. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've been struggling. I've been going through a hardship. There's something I need God's help. I need God's grace. I need his mercy. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, I haven't received it yet. Could it be that you're overlooking the resource that he's provided to you through Jesus Christ. You see, whatever you're going through, God offers you full access to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. He also understands your hardship, whatever it is that you're facing. But listen, folks, it's not only that, but he also provides you grace and mercy and help. Hey, that sounds like a really good deal. But folks, it's only available to those that come. Don't avoid the resource. Folks, I would just ask that wherever you are right now, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I'm convinced that in our country and in our culture, in our families, in our marriages, we need the resources that God has available to us. The resource that he's made available to all of us is prayer. You come to him, you'll find mercy and you'll find Grace. You'll find the peace that passes all understanding, but it only comes to you if you come to his throne of grace. How many of you are here today and you say, Ryan, I'm facing some hardship. There's some struggles I'm going through. I don't know how I'm going to make it. How many of you would just, where you're at right now, would you just raise your hand and say, Ryan, uh, I'm going through that hardship you've been talking about here in Hebrews chapter 4. Wherever you're at, just raise your hand wherever you are. Ryan, I'm going through that right now.